I want to continue this morning. We're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 1. So if you've got your Bibles, you can turn there. I will put it up on the screen and it'll be in the ESV um, version that we'll read it from there. And we're just continuing in this series of what it means to be fully equipped. And so let's just kick off with prayer. Father, we just thank you that as we come to your word, that it's not just to, um, as Rich shared earlier, it's not just to receive uh, information, but it's so that transformation can take place. We just thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are the word and that we can encounter you afresh, that as we do that, Holy Spirit, that you'd just be acting upon uh, just breathing that word afresh upon our hearts and that we would have the eyes of our hearts enlightened, that we might know just uh, the fullness of what it means to be in relationship with the living God. So I thank you that you come and minister that to us. We thank you for your grace, for your peace, for your empowerment, for your presence. And uh, I thank you, Lord, that it's not only to receive that, but to be fully equipped and empowered with that, that we can go out and be a safe place for people, but we carry a dangerous message because it's turning the world upside down, right way up for kingdom advance. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, have you turned to someone next to you? Just say a quick hi. So it's great to have you here at Harvest. I see we filled up in the worship. Okay, so we're in this uh, book, uh, the first chapter of Ephesians, and we've said that Ephesians really, it's this uh, letter that is called, it's called the Alps of the New Testament, the Grand Canyon of Scripture, just because it's so rich. It's one of the, the letters that I love the most, and we're looking at a couple things that we can take out of there. Um, I loved how Watchman Nee, who was a, um, an author and uh, leader from years gone by, he said something that really impacted me, or actually wrote a book, and the title of it impacted me. I haven't read the book yet, uh, but the title of it was this. It was Sit, Walk, Stand. Sit, Walk, Stand, and it had to do with Ephesians, and it's this understanding that in the world, so often, um, the, the pressure on us and the expectation on us and the pull on us and the draw on us is that we'd stand up in, in our own strength and abilities and capacity. And once we've stood up, that we'll begin to walk that out and exercise that. And eventually, once we've been successful in doing that, we can take a seat and we can rest. So we've got to stand, we've got to walk it out and make it happen. And then eventually one day, maybe in retirement, we can rest. But it's totally different within God's kingdom. And this is what the, the book of Ephesians reveals to us. And before I go on to say what it reveals to us, it's great to have uh, Brian and Rebecca here. Are they here? If you can just raise your hands. They are uh, living in Doha. They're part of the family. They're back for a while. Great to have you here at Harvest. But this world, the world says to us we need to, um, we need to stand and walk before we can sit. But as we see here, the Apostle Paul is emphasizing to us, no, our starting point in Christ is that we, even as he is seated and the work is finished, we are seated in him. The starting point for us is we are seated. And once we know that position of rest and strength and empowerment that comes from him, from that place of position, we can walk worthy of the calling that we have received as it says in chapter four. And then from that in chapter six, it says we can take our stand against the enemy. And so there's this thing of in the, in the book of Ephesians being emphasized that we get to sit before we walk, before we stand. And it's such a key thing because uh, so often we can look at Christianity and think it's behavior modification. I need to modify the way I behave. I need to start to behave better and do better and live better and speak better and think better and smile better 
if I'm going to be a good Christian. And it's all about what I can do. And what that does is it robs the power of the cross. It robs the power of the resurrection. It robs the power of where Jesus is seated. And we miss something of a redemptive, restorative, regenerative moment that is available to us when we know that it's Jesus's life that infuses us, infuses us that we're seated in him, empowered by what he's accomplished. And we get to live out of the fullness of that place. That's the, the beauty of when we, when we grapple with this. And so the first three chapters, uh, the, the longest part of the book is dealing with, you need to know your position. Your position is in Christ. It mentions this over and over and over as we're going to read just through this, uh, this first chapter particularly. But it's saying your position is in Christ. You get to rest in Christ. I shared uh, in the second service last week, so you would have heard it, that um, Adam was created on the sixth day. So the first full day that he, was, um, that he lived into was the seventh. The first full day that he lived into was the day that God rested. And the beauty is as new creational beings, we get to enter into this life resting in what Jesus has already accomplished. It's a beautiful thing. So our starting point is being seated and resting. And then chapter four, verse and five go on and they say, now that you know who you are, now that you know, and here's so key, you need to know who you are, you, know to, you need to know where you are, and you need to know who you belong to. Whose you are, who you are, and where you belong, where you're seated. And when you know that, that you are in Christ, when you know your position, where you are seated and can rest, then you can be strengthened to walk. When you know your calling is to be in Christ, then you can walk worthy of your calling. Out of that position, that's what it goes on to say. And then chapter 6. I don't want to give it away because we're going to get there at some point. Might be a long time. Chapter 6 says this, that we take our stand. And it says we take our stand in the armor of God, which is really clothed in Christ. And I love it because when you look at this picture, it always used to irritate me because it looked like defensive armor. And I'm like, no, Lord, we are all about attack. We're about taking ground. We're about being on the offensive. And that's true about so many things. But the beauty of knowing that the armor of God is predominantly defensive in nature. Even the sword can be used for protecting. Why that's beautiful is this, because we take our stand on the victory ground that's already won. Rich said we're not fighting for victory, from victory. And in an offensive warfare, when you're in offensive warfare, it's because you're trying to take ground from the enemy. But when you're on a defensive warfare, it means the ground belongs to us. So I take my stand, and after the enemy throws everything at us, we can continue to stand. That's the, that's the beauty. But we need to know that it comes from our seating that we can walk and stand in the fullness of what God's called us to. So often we fall short in terms of behavior and um, struggles with addictions and habits and things that, and thought patterns and mindsets and uh, words and expletives and whatever it else might be uh, happening in our life. And it's because we're trying to do it in our own strength. And here's the encouragement of Paul. Know that you're in Christ the way you see it. Ephesians 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Uh, I love that. We've spoken about that before. It's Paul, he's an apostle. He's saying, there's a grace that's flowing from my life. As you read this letter, that I'm, it's a grace that's going to equip you, empower you, mature you, going to bring unity in you. It's going to bring you into the full measure of Christ. There's a fullness aspect that's on my life that I'm wanting you to gain for. And I'm, it's by the will of God. Here's an encouragement as I step away from the text. Make sure that you are in the will of God. Make sure that you are in the will of God. Because listen, let me say this. If you are, out, if you are doing that which you know is not God's will, stop it. So, that's, so I'm saying it gently. I'm not saying stop it. 
I'm saying, stop it. Because if you know it's not God's will, then it's not good. It's not pleasing. And it's not going to bring you into the fullness of every blessing and the richness and the lavishness of his grace, which is towards you. Why would you be wanting to walk in a different direction? We want to be in the will of God. If you know you, what you're doing is not the will of God, and some of us know there's certain things we're doing that are not, stop it. It's not going to give you life. It's going to rob life. I think Louis Giglio said this. It looks so good and tastes so good, but it's wrapped in death. Can look so good, can taste so good, but it's wrapped in death. But then there's another struggle around the will of God. We want to know, um, and, and it's a real struggle that we face. We, we want to know, Lord, what do you have for me? And we can be in a place of transition. I know that numerous of us here today are in that place, whether it be in our schooling or our studies or in work or in midlife or in kids leaving the home. And, and Lord, what does your will look like for me now? I had uh, a lady come up to me and, and said, you know, I knew I was in the will of God raising my kids, but they've all left the house now and they've left me, have abandoned me and deserted me. What's God's will now? And we feel this, this sense of, I need to find it. And we're like, Lord Jesus, help me get out there and find what your will is. Find what your plan is. Find which house and spouse and, and country I should be living in. And uh, next investment plan. Let me find that out there. And there's this, this pressure that comes on us to get out and get beyond. And Paul is saying, don't let that pull you and drag you and push you and, pull, and, and buffet you around. But rather he's saying this, God's will and God's destiny is found in him. There's a tangible root where we can find and step into the fruitfulness of the will of God, and it's in Christ. Don't go looking for it everywhere else. This is Paul. He's saying, by the will of God. And then the next thing he's saying is we need to know who we are in Christ. That continues to say as saints in Christ. And from that place of being saints in Christ, knowing our position in him, do we get to live effective where he's placed us? It doesn't start with how am I going to affect Ephesus. It starts with I'm a saint in Christ. That is my position, and now my location geographically is to impact the area where he's placed me. So if you're struggling, trying to say, Lord, what is your will? So many times, I remember Kiri Salvi coming and prophesying of me as a young man. And you know, we can be pulled off our focus by trying to pursue the will of God. What I mean by this is I was so wanting to pursue his will. Could it be this, this, that I lost my focus of who he is? And a word to me was this, you're so worried that you'll miss the will of God. But as you keep running after him, you can never miss it. And so we need to get our focus and not get pulled off in every other direction. Verse 2, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We've made it to verse 2. Okay. Grace and peace. <laughs> I'm not going to read every verse. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The problem is, I looked after, over what I preached last week. And I wanted to preach it totally different. There's so much more. You can preach so many sermons from this, but don't worry, you've gone quiet. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's a key. If you don't understand grace, you'll never have any peace. If you don't understand grace, you'll never have any peace. You see, any peace that is worth having, any lasting peace is going to come from the grace that flows from Jesus. Any other peace is not really peace. It might be a respite, might be some solitude, might be a little bit of quiet, might be a distraction from what's surrounding you, but it's not peace that's going to last. It's not peace that's going to have worth unless it's flowing from the grace that Jesus gives us. God's grace is this. It's God's power that comes freely to us that enables us uh, for what we need to do without struggle. 
God's grace is this. It's his power, his power which comes to us freely, which enables us to do what we need to do, what he's called us to do, what he's purposed us to do without struggle. It's not saying that there, that there is, isn't called to be ambition and we're not meant to walk and we're not meant to train ourselves, but it's not a struggle because it comes from the power that his spirit works in us and through us. And so here uh, today I can model this out. I was sharing in the first service that um, I'm standing here today and I've had to pray for God's grace to, to minister. I've had to pray that I would know the grace of God at work in my life. Otherwise, I wouldn't have peace in sharing with you. And let me tell you, if I didn't know the grace of God and was believing for God's grace, you wouldn't have peace in listening to me either. There's something about peace which flows from grace. I say that because uh, yesterday evening, um, my family have had this flu bug that went around during the week. And Leanne and I have been uh, midweek. We had both been throwing up and still not feeling 100%. And then uh, I think it was on Friday night, little Mitch started throw. Actually, Friday night he threw up all over me in Woolworths. Uh, I still need to write an apology to Woolworths. But anyway, um, and, and then what happened last night is I was preparing late because I hadn't been 100% through the week. And so, so anyway, I was finishing it off at about 1.30 in the evening. I hear Amberly starting to throw up. I think, oh, let me uh, go check how she is, get ready for bed about 2.30 in the morning. Little Mitch is up because suddenly diarrhea has kicked up with him. And so it's been, I, Lord, thank you for your grace, which gives me peace. And Leanne, and she's at home with all of that at the moment. But you see, there's something about his grace that we need so that we can have peace. And the Apostle Paul starts all his letters and he says, grace and peace be to you. Grace and peace to you. Grace and peace to you. He says this over and over each letter. Peter says it this way in his two letters. He says, may, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. It's saying it's not static. It's not just the status. There's a multiplication. There's an increase of grace that we can have. And it continues to say, as we know him and our knowledge of him. So what it's saying is this. It's when we come to God's word, that um, when we come to God's word, that his, his grace and his peace actually multiplies. As we're going to read this letter today, Paul starts off with this letter and he says, grace and peace be to you. And then he finishes this letter um, in chapter 6, and he says, grace be with you. Grace be to you. Grace be with you. Why does he say that? Because there's something about as you read this letter, there's going to be grace to us. We're going to receive grace. And we've said that grace is God's power and peace is his presence. We're going to receive grace and peace, his power and his presence in our life. But there's something more as we read this word, as grace is multiplied in our life, as we encounter the word of God, encounter Jesus in his word. What this means is not only do we receive grace and peace as we encounter his word, but as we go out into the world, we go out with what? My grace be with you. We don't only have grace to us, we have grace with us, which is his power and his presence as we head out. So that's my encouragement. That's the capacity I want you to open up in your heart to receive grace and peace. And we're going to read this amazing sentence, this unending sentence, uh, Ephesians 1, 3 to 14. Paul is starting to express our position in Christ and he gets so excited. He gets so caught up. He gets so enthused that all grammar and punctuation and everything else goes out the window. And he just starts to repeat over and over and over and over. Over 10 times we'll read it just in these next few lines. Our position in him. Say that with me. In him. In Christ. In Christ. This is the thing I want you to get. If we can put it up on the screen. Thank you. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Just receive grace and peace as I read this over you. Who has blessed you in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. 
in Christ, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he has lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, and as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Verse 11, in him we have obtained an inheritance and have been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things to the counsel of his will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Verse 13, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. That's a long sentence. Take a breath. Did you, did you catch something about in him, in him, in him, through him, by him, because of him? It's this beautiful uh, uh, emphasis that's coming. It's saying, in him we blessed, we are chosen, we are holy, we are blameless, we are adopted, we are accepted in the beloved, we are redeemed, we are forgiven, we are receiving grace, we are uh, sealed, we have an inheritance in the Holy Spirit, all of these things. And it all comes from the simple thing, it comes from being rooted in him, not by your doing, not because of what you could achieve, not could you, of what could you could work up or conjure up or try and make happen. It comes simply by this, by being in him. How many of those things would you like to see in your life? I love that. It says we are chosen as holy and blameless before the foundation of the world. The beauty is this. It's not saying only a few of us were chosen. It's saying anyone in Christ, you have been chosen as holy and blameless before the foundations of the world. The beauty is this. The enemy will come and he will try and knock us and he will try and accuse us, even though we've been declared as a saint and we've been declared holy. But here is our defense. You are blameless. In his eyes, in the Father's eyes, in Christ, you are blameless. That means no blame can be attached to you, given to you, thrown at you, spewed upon you. You are blameless. The enemy cannot step into that place. When you feel that blame coming, you just need to remember, I am in Christ. Ephesians 1 verse 3 continues to say, Blessed and worthy of praise be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing, every blessing of the Spirit, uh, in the heavenly realms, in Christ Jesus. Here's the beauty of this verse. Out of the blessed one comes the blessing. Why I say that, and we need to shift our gaze and our focus a little bit, is because so often we're looking for God's blessing in this business deal and in this relationship and in these words of affirmation spoken over me and in this uh, thing that I achieve so that people celebrate me and we're looking for, for our, um, our blessing from those areas. But here it says, from the blessed one comes the blessing. There's something about knowing who he is, the expansivity, the majesty, the glory, the praiseworthiness, the, the worthiness that deserves worship. There's something about knowing that he is blessed. There's something about getting a big picture of who he is. So your view of him isn't diminished when you've got a big picture of the blessedness of who God is and you, to use an old word, are able to magnify him as we do, it means that so is your avenue to receive of him magnified and increased. It's not diminished, little, or limited. And there's something about as we praise God and magnifying him, 
that, that, that the bigness of God allows that bigness of the avenue of our capacity to receive the blessing of God. And it's this picture of this. It's not saying I need to get God and get like a microscope and try and make him bigger. I don't have to try and do that. You don't have to try and make him anything more than he is. You don't have to try and convince him to be or exaggerate him or hope that someone else will see aspects that aren't really there because you are a, a bit of a spin doctor. You don't have to do that. It's not about a magnifying glass trying to make him bigger. It's like a telescope that magnifies your perspective so that the reality of the size of who he is can come into view. And, and I love what S.M. Lockridge said in that statement, my king. He said, no far-seeing telescope can see the endless shorelessness of his abundant supply. There's a, it's to magnify my perspective because as my perception of him increases, my capacity to receive from him increases. Man, that excites me. I got excited there. And uh, that's a beautiful encouragement as we read that, that he is the blessed one. And then it continues to say, has blessed us. Say that with me, has blessed us. You don't have to try and hope for it, try and conjure it up, try and um, do things to achieve it. You have been blessed. You just need to come into alignment of your position in Christ so that you can receive just the fullness of what he has given us in him. And it's, it's that thing of knowing that he has blessed us. And then it goes on to say, in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Not saying it's distant, heavenly places, I can't reach it. Not saying it's in the future, only when I get to heaven. He's saying it's not in the earthly places. He hasn't blessed us in the earthly places. If he said that, then our blessing would be limited because the earth is limited. Then with you, I'd say, listen, I hope he doesn't bless um, rich too much because if he blesses him, there's so much, only so much blessing and he's cutting into my space. But when I know that he's been blessed, when we are blessed in the heavenly realms, it means that there is no limitation. It is abundant. And then I know that when rich comes into blessing, I don't have to feel, hey, that's a bit of my space. I can start to celebrate that and jump into his space because I want to enter into the flow of the blessings because I know that they can be accessed because there's more than enough resource in my life as well. I begin to celebrate what's happening so it can begin to generate in my life as well. And so we start to, to be able to celebrate beyond ourselves. And I love this picture. Um, how many of us have watched, uh, it's on Netflix, a documentary. It's called One Strange Rock. It's like one of those National Geographic things. I see a couple of us don't give away my answer here. Um, it taught me something. Will Smith uh, is in it. And, and he asked this question, what is the largest river in the world? I don't really know, but I know what he said. <laughs> I like to please people, so I don't want to uh, cut across any of your suggestions, but I'm going to go with Will Smith. Will Smith said, uh, said it was the, uh, uh, said no, he didn't say that. Now I'm, now I'm confusing myself because I'm trying to please people. It's not the Amazon. It's not the river that's flowing uh, called the Amazon River. It's the river that's flowing in the heavens above it. You see, they, they say that one tree, one large tree, can release a thousand liters of water into the atmosphere through evaporation and photosynthesis taking place in evaporation. It's, they say that over 400 billions of, uh, a billion liters of water daily are being released into the atmosphere. And so there's this river that's flying over the Amazon that's actually the largest river on earth. 
and it paints this beautiful picture of these trees and the evaporation going up and feeding this river. But it's the opposite picture in the spiritual realm because as we, in a sense, as trees, oaks of righteousness, who, who we are in Christ, start to worship him and declare glory to him and there's praise that goes up from him, not, not only are we feeding that river, but that river is raining down blessing upon us. It's unlimited. And you, we have to shift our perspective because if we're trying to look for blessing from an earthly realm, it's limited. But when we can tap into that blessing, that heavenly river, it flows from the throne without limit. And so we're wanting to, to just engage with the limitless resource of blessing that's available to us. Limitless wisdom, limitless grace, limitless favor, limitless, limitless mercy, limitless resource that is ours because we have been blessed in the spiritual spirit. We have been blessed in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Amen? Here's my encouragement to us in this. That doesn't distract us or pull away our focus. We don't go running after the blessing. We don't go trying to drum up experiences because of that blessing. Our focus is Jesus. He remains our delight. He is the beloved in whom we are accepted. And we know that as we position ourselves in him, because he is more than enough, we receive everything that is of his heart towards us as well. Verse 4, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight, in love. He chose us in love. Verse 5, and he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his good pleasure and will. He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Turn to someone next to you for a second. If you've remembered anything that's impacted you, just tell them quickly because I need a sip of water. If nothing's impacted, you just hum, so at least it makes me feel that, that there's things that have been impacting. I love this word adoption. It means this. The Greek word means this. It means to place as a son. Adoption means to place as a son. We heard Rory Dyer speaking at a leadership conference just recently, and he actually mentioned the same um, phrase, to place as a son. And when, when he mentioned that, he said, you know, that can cause a bit of trouble here and now today in this age, because we're a little bit gender sensitive and we're a little bit worried about what we say, but we would miss something if we turn that into, he, he places us now as sons and daughters. You see, in that day and age, it was only a son who would receive the full inheritance. And so with that adoption, it means to, as I've said that phrase, it means to place as a son. It means to be a, a full grown son who is able to receive the inheritance right now. There's no limitation in that. It's not a child who's going to grow and one day get his inheritance. It's meaning a full-grown son who can receive his inheritance, step into his inheritance right now. And it's saying son because as sons and daughters, we are sons of God who get the full inheritance. That's the beauty of that promise there. And um, we see the Apostle Paul. We need to jump back for a moment because we're reading this from the, our, Dan, uh, our context in 21st century hours and we're missing the first century reality. He's writing this to um, the church in Ephesus, and it would go beyond that. But Ephesus, Rome, and uh, sorry, in Romans and Galatians, he mentions this word adoption to each of those cities. Each of those cities were under Roman jurisdiction. And so this would have meant a lot to them, hearing this phrase adoption, because in the Roman culture, they had what a culture we encountered today as well, we would call it an abandonment culture. And what that means is, in that day and age, if a Roman uh, 
father didn't approve of his child or would be brought in place before, uh, before him, and he could either approve or not. If he disapproved, he could get rid of his child. He could abandon it. He can reject it. Another family might have taken it. They had a big market where maybe slavery or something else. They had a rubbish dump where it was recorded that kids were put there as well. They had an abandonment culture. Today, we also experience abandonment culture. We also experience that re rejection. Maybe it's in a family setting. Maybe it's been in a job where you've just been abandoned. Maybe it's been um, in, in, a, in a setting with your children. I'm not too sure. Friendship. But we can feel that abandonment as well. And this is what's being said in this moment in the midst of an abandonment culture. This is what they would be hearing. These Romans would be hearing this being said to them. In the midst of the abandonment culture is that this, if you have come to know Jesus, the most defining moment about you isn't who threw you out. The most defining moment about you is who took you in. The most defining moment about you isn't who threw you out. It's who took you in. It's who chose you, who picked you out, who picked you up, who took you in, who gave you a home, who gave you his name who said you are mine, who opened up the richness of what he had to you and said, I want you to be as if you were mine. A father came and spoke to me in the first service and said, I had an individual come to me who was an orphan and I had a father come to me who had adopted someone. And uh, in both these stories, this impacted them. But the father said, you know, that moment took long in the government eyes and and it wasn't easy to do, but there was a moment where I received a letter that said um, the full name of this boy that he was adopting. This boy is now as if he was born of your family. You see, the beauty in the kingdom is there's not a process and loops and administrative uh, restraint. It happens instantly in Christ. Instantly in Christ. We are adopted and come into that full stature of being sons of the full inheritance. And uh, maybe you've been in that place where, as I said, you felt rejected. Maybe it's been a fiancé. Maybe it's been a spouse. Maybe it's been a friend who shut you out and kept you at arm's length. Maybe it's been that job, as I mentioned, where the boss has said, no, there's no space for you. Maybe you are an employer and an employee who you've invested into has headed off and taken some of your customers as well. Maybe those are realities of some of the things you're facing. And this is what it's saying here. When we are adopted, when we are accepted in the Beloved, it means this, number one, it is irreversible. Three things about adoption. Number one, it's irreversible, both from the family that's adopting and both from the person being adopted. It, it means that that can never be changed. It's an eternally secure position. It's irreversible. It means you cannot be disinherited. It's this process that means you used to belong to this family, but now you are a member of this new family. It means you cannot have anything to do with the old. You cannot return there. Any obligation, any duty, any debt that was part of that old family is gone. You are no longer identified with it. You are a son in this family, and you get that full attribute of this family to you. It's irreversible, number one. The second thing is this. It was a way, adoption was a way of bestowing honor. It was a way of saying whose you were, who you were, and where you were positioned in that family. And it was an ascribing of honor to you. Uh, if you were born in that day and age as an orphan, it was a day when they would often speak about um, which family you belonged to because that gave a sense of worth, that gave a sense of identity, and that gave a sense of honor. And if you couldn't say that, then you were seen as maybe someone with less honor and a less honorable position. It didn't matter what you achieved. didn't matter what success you have. didn't matter if you're a great military man. didn't matter. 
You, you see, achieved honor could never measure up to ascribed honor. Achieved honor could never measure up to ascribed honor. And the beauty here, it's when God adopts us into his family, he's ascribing honor and significance and worth and value to us, not only for us, but in the eyes of everyone around. In heaven's eyes, there's honor that we get to carry because we've been adopted into his family. We'd never be able to achieve that on our own. And the, the third thing is there was a bestowing of power. You see, in the Roman day of, uh, in that day, they had seen six emperors who had come in who hadn't had sons to bestow power to. So they adopted sons to bestow power. So it was known that people in great positions of power would choose someone, they would adopt someone, they would bestow power on them, and then that son, adopted son, could live out and carry that responsibility going forward. And here's what adoption meant. As the, the, the readers of this letter were reading it in that day and age, they were hearing, this is what Jesus has done for us. This is what God has done for us, the Father. This is what the Spirit is working for us, that we have been uh, chosen, that he chose us before the foundation of the world, that we have been adopted. It means something irreversible has happened. We have been given honor, but not only that, we have been adopted. He wants to bestow power on us. That's why we know that we have been empowered with all the gifts of the spirit that have been bestowed upon us. And not only has power been bestowed upon us, but we get to be uh, seated in Christ and have the very same spirit that raised him from the dead and seated in the heavenly places at work in our lives. And as also as we were dead, raised us and seated us in Christ in the heavenly realms. That's what it's saying and conveying. I mean, that should, uh, when we read that word adoption, those things should explode in our hearing, that it's irreversible, that there's honor and that there's power that is because of his decision and ascribing it to us. It's nothing that we could have achieved. And I trust that just encourages some of us here today because many of us have had uh, rejection Many of us have had abandonment. Many of us have been left. Many of us have felt you're not worth it. You're never going to measure up. But heaven is shouting over you, shouting over you. It's tearing every restriction, the Father heart of God, to declare over you, you are my beloved son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Why? Because we have been adopted. We've come into the full measure and stature of that in Christ Jesus. Beautiful. And then the Apostle Paul continues to pray and he prays, I, I pray that the Spirit would, would give you wisdom. I pray that the Spirit of God would give you revelation. And I pray that you would um, come into the full knowledge of him. I pray that you would have wisdom, revelation, come into the knowledge, this experiential, ongoing knowledge, this word gnosis of who Jesus is. I pray that you would come into that place, place even as you are in him, because from that place, you're going to live out and you are going to know this. You are going to know hope. You're going to know this irresistible hope that is in your life. I'm not just saying that you're going to be hopeful. Sometimes we can be, uh, you know, I'm hopeful this is going to happen. I'm, going to, uh, I'm hopeful that's going to happen. No, it's to be hopeful. It's to be filled with hope. And it means you're going to affect everywhere you go. Because the, I don't know if you've heard that quote, but they say that the most influential person in any room is the person with the most hope. The most influential person in any room is the person with the most hope. And Paul's prayer is saying, I pray that you would know the hope to which you have been called. Then he says, I pray that you would know the riches of this glorious inheritance. Come out of a poverty mentality. Come out of a lack mentality. Come out of a limited mindset of who God is and what he can do for you. Shake that thing off and know the riches of this glorious inheritance that you have because you've been adopted, but also that you're part of his inheritance. That's how much he delights in you. He says, I want an inheritance and I want you and you and you and you and I want you as mine. 
That's the beauty, that you would know that. And then to know the immeasurable. You cannot measure it. You cannot compare it. You cannot try to work it out. The immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, who has raised, which has raised him up, seated him in the heavenly places at the right-hand side of the Father and placed us in Christ. So we are there as well. Katya had done a beautiful disposition when she was here. I think it was her last sermon of what it means to be seated in Christ at the right hand of the Father. The right hand of the Father, just to say quickly, means this. Genesis 48 speaks of favor, inheritance, birthright. Exodus 15, it speaks of victory and power. Psalm 16, it speaks of pleasures forevermore at his right hand. If you're not sensing the pleasure of God in your life, make sure you know where you're positioned. Psalm 17, it's a place of refuge. 18, it's a place of support. 48, it's a place where righteousness is and it breaks sin and condemnation's power. Psalm 68 and 98, it speaks of deliverance and salvation. Isaiah 48, creative power. Psalms 18, the son of his right hand is the one who makes strong. He makes us strong. And there's this idea of as we are seated in Christ, that he has been placed above every power and ruler and dominion and name that can be named. Everything is under his feet, even as he is the head over his body, which is the church. Are you part of the church? If not, there's a, a call to be in Christ because it's the, the Father's delight to bring you in. But except if we are part of the church, it means we are seated in Christ, in heavenly places, at his right hand, and everything has been placed beneath his feet, and we are his body. So where is everything placed? Beneath our feet. Say that with me, beneath our feet. Because the enemy would love to come and manipulate us, intimidate us, threaten us, and try to think that we are beneath his feet. But the beauty is this, that in Christ, under his headship, everything is beneath our feet. So don't let him pull you, sway you, buffet you, manipulate you, move you out of position. You need to know your position and your position as we finish. Ephesians 1 is this, you are in Christ. In Christ. You are in Christ. Grace and peace be to to you and grace be with you as you go out, carrying the full revelation and fullness of that. In Jesus' name, we just thank you that you release that spirit of God over each of us. And we all say together, so be it. We say, amen. Amen.